Welcome back to Beyond the Model Asian. Today, we have a very, very special guest here speaking with us today, Paul Sun Hyung Lee. How are you doing today, Paul? I'm doing great. Thank you so much, Andrew. How are you? I'm doing amazing as well. We appreciate that you've come onto our podcast today and are able to speak with us about your life and how you've come to where you are today. So, oh, well, thank it. you so much for having me. Of course. We are so happy you're here, Mr. Paul. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, could you please yeah, just... don't call me Mr. Lee. Oh, sorry. <laughs> you almost did. I caught you. I, I almost You're did. Mr. Lee. No, 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 no. Please, no. I almost Please did. call me Paul. It's just a yeah, respect. it's just uh, like the honorifics, yeah. like in Asian. Yeah. Like, Culture, we're so you know, we're so that. used to it, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so, thank, you. thank you. Thank you, Paul. So with that said, could you please like uh, firstly introduce yourself and what you exactly do? Yeah. Uh, my name is Paul Sunhyung Lee. Uh, I live up in Canada, so that makes me Canadian. I'm of <laughs> Korean uh, ancestry, so my parents immigrated to Canada when I was three months old, so way wow. back in 1972. Um, so I pretty much lived in Canada my entire life, uh, and as you can hear, I have I have a Canadian accent. <laughs> um, and so uh, I, I am an actor, a writer, an aspiring uh, YouTuber, and uh, just all around nerd and geek <laughs> of all things nerdy and geeky. So, um, yeah, as of late, I've been very fortunate in my career. I've been part of a couple of shows that have kind of oh, uh, yeah. catapulted uh, me into the public's eye. The first show being Kim's Convenience. Um, mm. If you haven't seen that show, uh, this is a show that started on the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation here in Canada. It's based on a play mm -hmm. that I also played the lead role of Appa in. And um, yeah, this show did really, really well in Canada and then got picked up by Netflix and did really well on Netflix. And then the pandemic happened oh. and then the show exploded oh, yeah, yeah. because it was one of these shows yes. that was a comfort show. Yeah, right? definitely. Yeah. It's actually quite so, funny you mentioned wait. that because uh, I actually saw the play of you like acting in the play. I think it was a YouTube video when it was many years ago. I remember actually watching it. I was like, wait, this looks familiar because at the time when I was watching Kim's Convenience, I not only recognize the setting, but I recognize your face, Paul. So I was really like, I guess, oh. it's both inspired and <laughs> it was so interesting to know like this, you know, hit show all started from a little play in Canada. And so that really like shocked me and just made the experience overall so much better. Yeah, cool. Thank you so much. Yeah, I, I mean, and and that's how it started. Like, Inch Choi, who was a playwright, mm -hmm. um, was an actor and he wasn't getting any roles and so he started writing something for himself so he could get work mm -hmm. and uh mm -hmm. you know that's that's the advice that i give to a lot of uh people who are starting off in the in the business in the, they're saying you know how can i how can i get work I'm, I'm tired of waiting for work for this part to come along yeah and the thing is you shouldn't have to wait for it and if you are waiting then what you should really be doing is trying to create your own work nowadays we walk around with with high-tech computers in our hands and our pockets you can shoot movies on your phones yeah. you can write you can do so many different things right so make stories create content uh use your find your voice use your voice and tell your narrative um nowadays it's so much easier to do it because all you need is a solid story and a good idea and just roll with it and everything else falls into place you can learn on the way and you know the the beginning of the journey is always a little bit it's a little bit rocky and maybe not as polished, mm -hmm. but as you continue on and you learn these lessons, you find you will grow a skill set that will aid you tremendously in your career and in other projects later down the road. And 
it's, it's wonderful. I mean, going down that journey myself with YouTube, when I first started off in YouTube, mm-hmm. I shot it all on my phone. And little by little, as I got better and learned lessons, I started to upgrade my equipment and started to sort of refine that process. And so, yeah. you know, it's, it's a journey for everybody, which is really, mm-hmm. that's the great equalizer, right? Yeah. Nobody's, nobody's sort of like right off the bat, perfect and way advanced and whatnot. They, they had to learn it somewhere. And so that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's the fun part is yeah. the learning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So while we're on the topic of con- convenience, um, how do you think the show has helped increase the visibility of Korean culture? And what impact do you think it has on the Asian American or like Asian Canadian community? Yeah, you know, it, it's very interesting because one of the reasons, at least before Kim's Convenience was aired, uh, there was a lot of pushback from the powers that be, networks and different studios about having a story whose narrative was uh, non-Caucasian. Wow. And mm-hmm. one of the biggest... One of the biggest things I remember, like as a younger actor, was, you know, pitching shows and whatnot and hearing, well, you know, just audiences won't be able to connect with these these stories, these people, because it's it's a different culture. And so it'll be very, you know, it's not marketable. We can't do this. Mm-hmm. And I think a show like Kim's Convenience proves absolutely you can do yeah. this. I think there are a number of different factors involved. First of all, even though it is very specifically a Korean Canadian story, the dynamic of the family is universal. Yes. If you have parents, if you have children, siblings, uh, you know, partners, you understand the dynamics because families are families. Culturally, there may be some differences, but at the end of the day, the relationship between fathers and sons and daughters and sons and daughters and, sorry, uh, daughters and mothers and whatnot, those are all recognizable because we all have family or have come from families. and And so... When you look past the trappings, you can see that dynamic and it's familiar and it is something that is absolutely relatable. Mm-hmm. And one of the things about Kim's Convenience was it was so specific, it became universal. People started to go, oh, we used to get people from all over the world commenting and writing in and somebody from Brazil said, hey, you know what, this is this is my dad and I. He Ooh. wanted me to take over his 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 garage. I didn't want to do that. And these are Brazilians talking about that. So that dynamic is the same, right? Yeah. These relationships, um, if the story is authentic and told with love and respect, uh, I find that a lot of people can relate to them regardless of the the ethnic makeup of, of the storytellers or the, the people who are driving the narrative, the characters that are driving the narrative. So in that sense too, it really sort of opened the door because, uh, you know, and, and let's, Let's be honest. I think a movie like Crazy Rich Asians does really well and spawns all these different uh, offshoots right. because it made money, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at any big success. Black Panther, it, initially, it wasn't supposed to be this huge hit, this huge cultural mm-hmm. cultural hit. It was a B-list character that they just sort of put on, and then it became, because audiences, especially Black audiences, had never seen... Um, a character that came from a utopic society like that. It's never been portrayed in in North America before that. And they came and supported because it was so uplifting and it was financially successful. Mm -hmm. That's those, that's Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, because if it was all about, you know, doing the right thing and being altruistic and stuff, this would have been done 50 years ago. Yeah. But you know, and, and, and that's me being a bit of a cynic there, but like money, money talks. 
And suddenly when they realize, oh, we can make money off of this? Oh, well, then, yes, we're going to do this because it's the right thing. Yeah, sure. But <laughs> I like see. I say, too, it doesn't matter how you get in. It's what do you do with it once you're in. And it is incumbent on us, uh, all the BIPOC communities, to strive for excellence, mm -hmm. to keep doing the good work. Uh, the doors open. Let's go in and not give anybody a reason to kick us out again and to really, really affect that change in the industry where you do have different voices, different narratives, not only in front of, but behind the camera as well, so that we can move forward. Because really, at the end of the day, rich, diverse, inclusive storytelling benefits everybody. You know, it's like eating a meal. Right. Steak and potatoes can be awesome. But if you just have steak and potatoes for 50 years, you're going to want a little something with a different flavor to it. It's still sustenance. And, you know, when you open up your world to different things, you learn a lot. Uh, you get fresh perspectives, fresh narratives, and it's exciting, right? You're not getting mm -hmm. the same old, same old. And mm -hmm. I think audiences nowadays are smart enough. And with the internet, we have access to international storytellers and movies and, <clears throat> excuse me, different stars and, and directors and writers. And, you know, that benefits everybody because now mm -hmm. you have a richness of material to choose from. And as an audience, that's what I'd want. I want that choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I would say specifically the rich family dynamics and the fresh narratives were really nuanced. So I did love that despite me being of Filipino descent and not Korean descent. But overall, uh, I just wanted to ask you, how was your experience playing Appa and how did it change you as an actor or influence your approach to new roles? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, my experience playing Appa was a tremendous one. This is one of my favorite characters. Mm -hmm. This is the character that I helped develop during the workshop of the of the play and then mm -hmm. develop even further during the television series. Now, the play is very different from the television series. The TV mm -hmm. series, we young the family down by about 10 years. Uh, in the play, it's, it's, it's a comedy, but it's a really rough, rough comedy. I mean, mm -hmm. and by that, I mean, this is the, in the play, the Kim family is broken. Um, Jung has been gone for 15 years. I see. Okay. Uh, oh. They are old. They are broken down. Um, they're just mm. running out the clock. And it's rather bleak. They're just stuck in that run, rut, just running out the clock. And over the course of a single day, Appa is faced with an opportunity to sell his store because of Walmart's moving in um, and retire. Uh, but for him, it's mm -hmm. sort of, it, in his mind, it's like, well, what is my legacy then? I, I, I worked my fingers to the bone for 30 years. And what do I have to show from it for it? There's nothing. And so he sees Janet and she's still working in the store. She's still living at home and she's trying to be a photographer. And the play is about him trying to push the store onto her because then he can kill two birds with one stone. He can provide a, a living for Janet and she'll, she'll have something that she can raise a family on and take care of herself. And B, he's got a legacy to pass on to her so like he can be remembered. And obviously you could see where the friction lies in that because she wants nothing to do with having the store. Yeah. Anyways, um, he's up as nasty in, in the play he is he's as blunt as a korean ajushi can be um you know and you know you, you probably know what i'm talking about andrew like oh yeah these korean ajushis who 
who think they know everything and everybody else is an idiot and uh, <laughs> is very, very, um, he's nasty when he fights. He's, he, mm -hmm. he's, he's just, he's just, it's funny, but there's such an edge to it. Like you laugh because you can't believe the stuff that's coming out of his mouth, much like it was on the TV show, but the TV show was so much more gentler and they made the comedy a little bit more broad to chart to, to make it more accessible to audiences to come in and, you know, want to watch what the Kim family did on TV. And so you have two fundamentally sort of different styles of playing up uh, in both uh, either the stage or on the screen and on the screen, he was a much more gentler, it was a much more family friendly sort of feel good comedy, which is why it did so well during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. It was this comfort show for a lot of people. So for me playing up, I mean, that's a role of a lifetime for me to mm -hmm. be able to play an Asian male who is uh, who defies stereotype, who defies caricature, who has his faults, who isn't overly idealized, who mm -hmm. is stubborn, who is funny, who loves his family who has suffers consequences for the decisions that he makes was great. Right. And so, I, I mean, playing up opened up so many doors for me. I mean, it's because of Kim's convenience that I got to be on star Wars. It was because of oh. Kim's convenience wow. that people wanted me on avatar. And so these, these are all things that really sort of play into it. Um, and, you know, I've always said, uh, you have to be ready. Like it's a craft. So your job as an actor is to prepare, do your job, know your lines, be ready to work, show up on time. You know, don't make anybody wait for you is the biggest thing, but above all, be kind, be kind mm -hmm. to your castmates, to the crew, to everybody you're working with. Right. Because literally on a TV set, everybody's job is to make me, the actor look good. Mm -hmm. So you have to be kind. You have to, you have to like get to know these people who are helping you, right? And um, mm -hmm. a lot of people kind of lose sight of that sometimes. And they, they go, well, I'm the star or I'm this or I'm that. And they, you know, they just sort of strut around. And, you know, that's the benefit that I have of, of having the success at such a later stage in my, my career is I know how hard it was to mm -hmm. get started and to continue on. Um, and so I appreciate it more. And I'm able to see the pitfalls that I would have fallen into that I did fall into in my youth. And so, you know, playing up, uh, the, the jobs is still the same as an actor. Do excellent work. Find your voice. Find the truth of the character. Stay authentic. Do your job. Um, and have fun doing it, too. And, like, that translates to every job that I, that I take. Right. Is I, I keep those tenements the same. The characters are different, but those are the pillars, the foundation of my craft. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's... That's what you want to do as an actor. You want to you want to do good work, mm -hmm. and you want to be you want to be remembered not only for the good work, but for your demeanor on stage. Because more and more, I think people are like, "Can I swear on this?" Oh, Let's of ask? course, yeah, please. Yeah. <laughs> okay. There's more and more places. There's a no assholes policy, and mm -hmm. I think that's the way to go because life is too short to have to deal with assholes. Mm -hmm. And I don't care how talented <laughs> you are. If you're acting like an asshole, I don't want to work with you anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's, that's it. So uh, that's what I bring with, um, with me whenever I, I, I take a role. These are things and I'm always learning, always learning. Wow. You go, you learn, you listen, you be present. Um, and, and that's, I think the recipe for success and the kindness, of course, above all is 
just the icing. You know, just learning people's names mm-hmm. and not just not fellow cast, but I'm talking like the grips, the props department, mm-hmm. hair, makeup, everybody who interacts with you on set or even on stage, the stage oh. managers, the stage hands, everybody ask their names, remember their names, mm-hmm. chat with them. It's incredible how few people do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and what a grand gesture it is. And it really isn't a grand, shouldn't be a grand gesture to ask mm. somebody their name and remember it is something that it's just being a human being. Yeah. And so I feel like I've unlocked a, a hack or a cheat code, <laughs> right? <laughs> ask people their names, remember their <laughs> names. And, and it's incredible because on Kim's convenience, that was the thing I wanted to be, I wanted Kim's to be the show that everybody wanted to be on because they got treated like gold and not like, yeah. Not in the sense that, you know, they're taken care of, of course they are, but like by fellow cast. So I made it my point. I didn't care. It doesn't matter for me how busy you are. You're never too busy to say hello to somebody and sit down and chat with them, especially if they've got a part on the show that you're the lead on and stuff. And because you create that culture of acceptance and, Mm. um, you know, the and appreciation. And what happens is the performers who come in, people come in. They invest in the show and you get fantastic work from them as well because they want to reciprocate the kindness that you've shown. And it's so, it's amazing. It's so much fun and it's so delightful and, and satisfying when you treat people well and then they, they appreciate it and they treat, you know, they bring their best work. Not that they wouldn't have originally, but it sure does help um, mm. to, to sort of invest in something and, and really bring something extra. Yeah, and actually the broad depth of his character was like really nice to see Appa. And uh, I thought it was a very like lighthearted type of humor. But when you were describing how the yeah. play was meant to actually be, I was very surprised because it was definitely a different kind of scenario with the actual show on Netflix. And so really great mm-hmm. to hear your insight on that. And your cheat code is just also really, really genuine that I would definitely keep in mind for anything I do in the future <laughs> as well. Because, hey, I just, you know... When you said it, I realized, wait, that's the key to life. That's the key to success or yeah. the key to being happy is just being kind, learning people's names. I t- really do understand that. And actually, you were talking a bit of yeah. before about how, like, as an actor, you really immerse yourself with Appa and your other characters. And so if you could think in Appa's mind, what do you think he would do if he won the lottery? Uh, would he quit running the store or would he keep it open? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it depends on how much he would win. But first thing is like, so like how much is he winning in terms of a lot? Are let's we say, talking Powerball? Like let's hundreds say, of millions? Yeah, let's say, let's say a Powerball. Let's say like enough yeah, I, to live the rest of his life. Hey, what you talking? Of course he's a closed store. You think he win hundred million dollars and then not have, have to, oh, okay. You can, you, yeah, buy, buy, buy cheap, buy, buy soda. No, of course not. He's a closed store. Hundred percent, he, he's a closed. Maybe he hides the ticket from Uma. Maybe. And, uh, you know, just uh, just uh, two weeks or so. Just uh, enjoy life. Yeah. Relax. And then, uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, 100% he's a closing store. But he's uh, making Janet and the junk work. Oh. You know, they get the free money from Lotto. Huh? No, they, they, they have to earn. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Wow. It's like comfort hearing your voice again like that. Oh, wow. <laughs> it really That's was... my dad's voice. Oh, really? 
Yeah, that's my uppa. Uh, I, you know, earlier on, a lot of people, <laughs> when Kim's first came out, I think it was very jarring because, it, you know, to have lead actors in a show that were Asian, of Asian descent, and who had accents. And I think a lot of people were kind of like, oh, oh, I don't know how to take this. Yeah. And a lot of members of the white community who had never seen the show were like, oh, that's racist. How could you have Asian people running a store and speaking with an Asian act? That's so racist. And it was just like this whole like knee-jerk sort of dog whistle thing. And it was just like, okay, relax, Charlie. Like, you know, yeah. it's it's one of these things where I I think because they've been so preconditioned to when they hear that voice, it's meant to be mocked, right? It's meant in a mocking sort of tone. Yeah. Because that's the way it was. You'd had white writers who didn't, uh, who had their own sort of uh, racist ideas of what Asian people sounded like or spoke or behaved, whether they meant it or not, it was racist. And so we were fed, spoon-fed, steady diet of these ridiculous characters who were just unrelatable and the other. And so they became the butt of the joke. They became easy targets. And so whenever people hear that, that's the automatic association and one thing I'm really proud about with Kim's Convenience is the fact that we broke through that and say, hey, look, the accent is part of who they are. They immigrated to Canada at a later point. Of course, they're going to have vestiges of their mother tongue in, their, in the language, right. right? It's very difficult to learn a new language as an adult. So you're always going to speak with an accent. If you were from yeah, you know, North America and you go and you learn French or German, guess what? You could be semi-fluent, but you'll still have like a North American accent, yeah. right? You might not hear it, but everybody else who's a native speaker will. Does that make you dumb? Does that make you uh, uh, somebody who should be ridiculed? Of course not, right? Mm -hmm. And so for Kim's Convenience, that was never the intention. And I certainly did not, would not have agreed to do the show had the accent been the big joke. Because uh, mm -hmm. that's, that's wretched in my mind. So we play the truth of that. And the truth is I'm channeling my dad, uh, my appa, he talks like that. But you had people who were just uh, even even Asians, like fellow Korean American, Korean Canadians, it was mostly mm -hmm. Korean Americans who had a lot of baggage to unpack. And I'll tell you, it, you could tell because just the the vitriol in the, the posts and I had somebody who's like, I'm Korean, I'm Korean American and my dad, doesn't speak like this. This guy is a clown. He should be, you know, all this stuff. And it was like from Southern Cal SoCal, right? It's like, okay, yeah. let me put it to you this way. Your dad does not sound like every Korean who speaks English. Like it doesn't. There's a subset of Koreans who act absolutely will sound like your dad because your dad learned to speak English and lives in Southern California. Your dad's English right. is going to sound different from the same dude who like, uh, I don't know, maybe he immigrated to Miami or right. Texas or Boston or whatever. My dad immigrated to Canada. Yeah. So we lived in London, Ontario, in Toronto, in Scarborough, then in Calgary. And guess what? He's going to have his dialect because he's, you know, a Korean man who learned to speak English in Canada, not America, not Southern U.S. Okay. So you're going to have that inherent difference. But mm -hmm. it was this whole idea of the show having to represent all Koreans. 
And if it wasn't the same in my experience, my, my limited experience, then it was garbage. And that was the thing, like the unfair comparisons, because whenever you have a show that is the first of its kind, especially a BIPOC show, suddenly it has to carry the mantle of representing all BIPOC shows and right. all like the show had to be about all Koreans, which was absolutely ridiculous. This was a very mm -hmm. specific Korean Canadian family that lived in Toronto. And uh, that was, you know, and, and that's the, the one barrier we still need to break through, mm -hmm. right? These shows don't have to, it doesn't have to be incumbent on us to represent every Asian or every BIPOC show, right? Mm -hmm. There are many other shows that can do that. Like, hey, the family in Dynasty, I mean, this dating myself, like, but, or, mm -hmm. or like, is that every white family in America? Of course not, right? It's mm. just like that's one rich white family in a soap opera from the 80s. Yeah. And of course we didn't go, well, that's all America. That's Falcon <laughs> Crest and, and Dallas and all those movies. That's that's all the white people in America. Of course not. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But for whatever reason, when it's the other shoe, it's like, oh, I had no idea all Asians were like that. Yeah. And it's, you know, it, it's this weird sort of perspective shift that I think people don't realize. Uh, and that's because there are so few shows of our kind. So, right. you know, I look at myself and I'm like, Hey, look, I'm, I am Korean Canadian, more Canadian because this is where I'm, I, this is where I grew up. This is, mm -hmm. this is my home. Uh, and so, you know, I, it, it's, it is just one of those things where I'm sorry, I lost my track of thought because my own mother just texted me. Oh, um, <laughs> it, it's, it's just one of these things where, uh, uh, I want to tell stories that reflect where I come from. Mm -hmm. I, you know, and I, I, my parents are from Korea. Absolutely. I had that immigrant experience with my parents growing up, but that's not all I want to do. I don't just want to tell Korean Canadian stories. You know what I mean? And that's yes. why doing star Wars is so much fun. Right. I love playing up. I love playing him. He was great. He put me on the map. It's a great launching pad and stuff but everybody's like oh you should go back to it you should go back you should go back it's like yeah that's cool maybe one mm -hmm. day but right now there's so much more i want to explore there's so many different right. sandboxes that i was denied a chance to play in wow. as a younger actor because of the color of my skin so you'll forgive me if i don't want to go back to kim's convenience right away and i'm not saying never mm. but right now i think i've done it it's cool yeah, yeah. and i want to just build and grow my career right. and do more than just that. Mm. Um, and, you know, doing Avatar is, is a great, it's another franchise, which is super mm -hmm. like mind blowing to be part of that. And then there's a show on Apple TV right now called Jane. It's for younger audiences, but it's, you know, it's a show that's partnered with the Jane Goodall Institute. Mm -hmm. And it's about animal conservationism, environmentalism, um, about how we can take a global issue and trick it down to a, a local level where we can help this and, and, uh, help the situation and create hope. So, it, you know, there, there's all these different things I want to play in um, because now I have the opportunity. And so, yeah, this is, and that's yeah. really at the end of the day, what we all want is I think BIPOC performers is to be able to use our voices, but not just be hemmed into a narrow lane and to kind of, or be put in little boxes and go, okay, we have our ethnics now. We can just put them in there, right? Like, <laughs> let's, let's, let's do, let's open it up. Let's open it up. Yeah. So. 
Yeah, so I mean, no matter what anyone has to say, that portrayal of Appa was just gold. But besides Kim's convenience, you said you were working on or have worked on a variety of projects throughout your career. So how does your experience on The Mandalorian or the Star Wars franchise in general compare to everything else that you've worked on? <laughs> that's that's insane. <laughs> like That's... <laughs> That's a hard question, you know. Just because I am like, look, at, I'm wearing this shirt. Uh, I've loved Star Wars <laughs> oh, wow. since I was five years old, wow. right? And so to be able yeah, to yeah. work in that universe is just mind blowing. Especially since I'm not from the states. Mm. I I yeah. live up in Canada. What are my chance? What are the chances an Asian dude living in Canada gets to act in The Mandalorian? <laughs> yeah, um, and a lot of things had to go right, you know. And so mm. this is for me. Like I, I keep saying this, but I feel like Cinderella at the ball because Whoa. I have this opportunity. <laughs> it's like my fairy godmother came down and said, "Don't fuck this up. Have fun <laughs> with it." And um, I haven't turned into a pumpkin yet, so I'm really, really happy about that. Aww. It's just like the 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 thing is, I'm I'm working on a job that, uh, it you know, today is Star Wars Day. It's May the fourth, right? Yes. May the fourth. Right. There are, <laughs> yes. it's a subset of like, there's so many different things in my life right now that just have Star Wars woven into the fabric of it. So it's just like, it really is like if you've dreamed of being an astronaut and going to the moon and you get that opportunity and you're living it, it's, it's overwhelming. It's like the, the amount of gratitude I have is incredible. It's, it's so humbling to be able to do that and to have people go, Oh my God, he's in Star Wars. So that's 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 crazy and uh you know it, it's just and it's raised my profile as an actor um you know when when my episode the episode that i was in for for the mandalorian season three dropped like my imdb like the star tracker thing went nuts because people were like who's this guy uh and so it it's like on so many different levels it's so satisfying and gratifying to have that exposure the success but then on top of it i get to be in something that i love that i've loved ever since i was a kid um and of course you know kim's convenience was the first time i ever got to be a lead actor number one on a call sheet and i love that and that was something that i i took very seriously that i really wanted to excel at i believe i did a great job on it you did um and you know it's just like it's just like great things after great things that I really, really appreciate. But, you know, Kim's Convenience was, even though it was a huge hit in Canada, was a small budget show compared to like, you're talking the Mandalorian and that's the biggest thing is the scale, right? The global reach. I mean, Kim's became global during the pandemic. Uh, Star Wars was always global, right? And it's just, it's like a juggernaut. Um, And so, yeah, it's, it's like, those are the differences between the two show, but like really the approach is kind of this it is the same right like you could be playing in a different venue but your job is the same the game is the same right like Mm -hmm. if you're playing baseball in a in a college field versus uh you know dodger stadium it's a baseball it's a baseball field right the 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 game remains the same the scale might be bigger right so yeah no i totally understand what you're saying right there and honestly I want to say, uh, like, people may think that, like, Carson Tiva is a relatively minor character in the series, but he does play a really important role in establishing the New Republic's presence in the post-Empire galaxy. So with that said, 
what do you think the character represents and how does he fit into the larger story being told in the Mandalorian? Oh, that's a great question. Good Lord. Um, <laughs> yeah. Carson Tava. He's, he's that guy. I, I love him because he's that grizzled veteran of the rebellion against the galactic empire who stuck mm -hmm. around to try to help out the, the new Republic. He served during Alderaan. So he saw a lot of really, really horrible things and he believes yeah. in, in, in doing good. Now, the thing with Carson Tava is he's still a captain right, at yeah. his age. So, you know, there's something there. Uh, I don't really have headcanon about that, but I think that's telling the fact that he's either, you know, um, he's either refused promotion or does, done something to be able to stay on the line. Mm -hmm. And that's what he is. And John Favreau described him as like that New York beat cop who's been around, <laughs> who knows the neighborhood, who, who's trying to make relationships with people because at the end of the day, mm -hmm. he's got limited resources. And he can't right. do it all himself, so he has to rely on building that community. I love that yeah. that that uh, way he's he's described it. I also take it another step forward, and he's like, uh, he's also like uh, like a Texas Ranger, mm -hmm. in the sense that he's got a vast amount of area to cover and to patrol. Very very limited right, resources. Yes. He goes mm -hmm. when they need help, but when he does, when he is able to sort of go in. He's going to raise a lot of hell, right? I think the saying right. was one riot, one ranger back in the day. And it's like that. And they established that in season one when the three X-Wings come in, you know, they set off that that uh, emergency beacon. Matt Lanter's character, um, you know, sets it off. And the, the X-Wings come in and they blow the holy hell out of that station. Um, that's, that's the New Republic's response. And so Carson Tava, he's there and he senses. He's putting together all the different pieces. And he, he's, he's sussing out the fact that the Empire isn't gone right they're right. they're reforming so uh he he's trying to you know get the message out he's putting these pieces like he's doing a little bit of detective work and he mm -hmm. sees the link between the mandalorian but what he's trying to do is reach out to he reached out to cara dune and yeah, he said yeah. so right like something's happening out here like right. nobody wants to believe it mm -hmm. but it's happening yes and right. you know they repeat it again in season three and he sees that but like he's kind of like Cassandra, the uh, the prophet, nobody believed her. And that was right. her curse. It was the fact mm -hmm. that she could see mm -hmm. the future, but no one would believe her. And that's kind of Carson Teva because he can see what's going on, uh, but nobody will believe him. Right. And uh, yeah, so that's I think that's his role right there. And the cool thing is, too, like he showed up in the book of Boba Fett, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, and so yeah. like that's, that's two franchises that are there, which are great. Exactly. And he's doing the same thing. He's following those breadcrumbs. And mm -hmm. so we'll see what happens. If they go with a season four, I would love to be part of it. Oh, yeah. uh, Favreau has oh. said he's already written it. Really? Which is great, oh, okay. but there's been no no word. Yeah, he wrote it, oh. I think he like months ago. He said, oh, yeah, season four is done. Oh, wow. Um, but oh. so we'll see We'll see what happens because Disney, right. uh, as far as I know, they don't. They haven't renewed it yet. I see. So we'll see what happens, And but it's nice to sort of be the uh, kind of like the, the Nick Fury or Ooh. the uh, Commissioner Gordon of of the yes. universe now because that last scene you know mandalorian says he wants to uh he wants to work for the new republic on a case-by-case -case basis off yes. the books mm -hmm. so you know i you know a friend texted me and said ah hey, you've been jim gordon right so it's like yeah commissioner <laughs> gordon works with the batman Batman's not legal right so but we'll work we'll work on the sly so i love that or like charlie's angels that, there's yeah. a bunch of different sort of uh character tropes uh that mm -hmm. I, I really love and appreciate and so like yeah if, if carson teva is the guy that uh is the intermediary 
who can use a Mandalorian to do the work that the New Republic is not allowed to do, mm-hmm. I think those would be fun adventures. Yeah. Yeah, so I wanted to ask, we talked about many of your characters that you've actually acted with. So if you had to pick one of your characters, which is not limited to Appa App- uh, or Carson Teva, but any one of your characters that you've played to be your wingman, who would it be and why? <laughs> <It's crazy. laughs> any of the characters that i've played any god yeah any yeah <laughs> uh and i i i, I i'm carson Teva, and i'm picking my wingman oh no no no, no like, no, like uh, in general Paul. like oh, yourself I'm me. yeah yes yeah you're oh. you oh and well <laughs> you know uncle iroh Really? I think really? I'd get Iroh. From Avatar? Yeah. Really? To be my wingman? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Because uh, he's got so much love in his heart um, oh, for yeah. family. For sure. He for is, sure. yeah, you know, and he is loyal. He's wise. He's calm. He's funny. And he can bend fire. So that, that'll come <laughs> in handy. Right? Right. So, yeah, I'd, I'd have to say Uncle Iroh. I'd have wow. to say Uncle Iroh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we've taken a lot of your time. So, can you just ask one more question, if that's okay with you? Yeah, one more. <laughs> okay. So, you won numerous awards for your work as an actor, including the Canadian Screen Award for Best Performance in a Leading Role. So, what does it mean for you to be recognized for your work in this way? Ah. Uh, um. Yeah. It. You know. It's. It's overwhelming. Uh. You don't, you don't do the work to get recognition is the first thing. Like Mm -hmm. I I wanted to be an actor, Mm. not to be famous, not to be recognized because I love telling stories Uh and I loved doing it publicly in that sense. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's just like, if it was just me telling stories to myself, I'd be happy, but you want to not like you, there's there's a part of a performer that craves, you need that audience to get that, to get that adrenaline rush or whatever, but to be recognized for your work is a truly humbling because a lot of times it's your peers who are who are you know judging you or voting for you or whatever or putting you up for nomination so that's an incredible uh honor and it's very very humbling because there's so many talented individuals out there um uh so to to be thought of that way like i have uh huge imposter syndrome as well uh and i don't take mm. compliments very well because I'm just like, nah, I'm just, I'm a piece of garbage. It's, <laughs> no, that's ridiculous. So um, I, I find it very humbling. Uh, and of course, there's that that gratification of like, oh my gosh, people like my work enough to do that. And to yeah. win it four years, four out of five years yes. is like, that's, I, and it's not like, you know, I and I'm up against the best of the best. And <laughs> The first year that I won, I yeah. blacked out. Like, I don't even remember <laughs> wow. the speech that I gave. Uh, and then the second year, I was terrified <laughs> because there's even more pressure yeah. the next year. And it's like, oh, well, you got to live up to that last, you know, to that <laughs> speech that you gave or if you win it or whatever. And so it becomes this thing where you, you get too much in your head. And of course, it's always lovely to win something. Everybody wants to win. And that's the horrible part of it <laughs> is I wish everybody could win, right? Uh-huh. It's, it's just one of those things. Um, but I, I take 
that that it's such an honor. It is such an honor. And um, all I can say is it's it's not just an individual effort. It takes an army of people to help shape that performance. And I, you know, definitely um, I play a part in it. I do my homework. I'm prepped. I make my choices. Uh, I'm present. I listen. But there are writers who write the material. There are directors who who help you out with redirects and notes, the third eye outside. You have producers, yeah. editors, and then all the support, like the camera crews, um, the gaffers who light you, the props master who gives you, you know, gives you the stuff, the wardrobe, hair, makeup, sound, everybody working together to make this performance uh, an amazing one. And that's not lost on me. I mean, nobody yeah. acts in a vacuum unless you're in outer space, in which case you'll be dead. But, uh, and that's the thing. And so I see it as a team win. Okay. Winning the CSA was because of, and fantastic scene partners and stuff. It's just, there's so many people helping you to get to that point and it's incredible. And it's too much to, to sort of name them all, right? And, it, and then so like, I, I try to share the award with everybody but I keep it at my house. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wow. That is really inspiring that you felt that sense of adrenaline without like the need for an audience that you just had this passion, this drive to want to reach out to people through your ways of acting. And that's really, you know, definitely inspiring to both me and Ella as well as our listeners, I hope. So thank you so much for sharing your story and with that paul thank you so much for coming on to our podcast today to uh you know give advice about where you've come to where you're today and also just to share a little bit more about how you've come to be so um to, to the point where you are today basically and so we really appreciate your words of insight yeah so thank you so much paul oh no you <laughs> thank you for having me on and uh, i appreciate it and the two of you Keep keep going, keep grinding out. Be excellent. Um, always, I mean, yeah, just be kind, be passionate. Find your voices. You use your voices. Surround yourself with people who will support you. That you can support. That you can uplift. Build together. And uh, I have no doubt your futures will be super bright. And uh, yeah, just just keep crushing it. Thank you, Paul. Thank you so much. Thank you. We hope our listeners were able to learn with us today. And so with that said, until next time, as you go more into depth about what really goes beyond the model Asian.